0: We as individual human beings who are always in social environments and in some form of group process and social, cultural, historical settings um, have that capacity to construct and reconstruct. That's, that's what it means to me, that we are always um, not just determined by or in contexts that are socially constructed, but we are the social constructors.
1: This is Positivity Strategist, and I'm Robin Stratton-Burkessel, host and creator and producer of this show. In this show, I'm welcoming Dr. Lois Holzman as a guest of this special season five of Positivity Strategist. Now this isn't special because it's sponsored by the Taos Institute and I have the honor to be talking to a number of distinguished authors, scholars and practitioners who've collaborated to contribute to a new publication entitled The Sage Handbook of Social Construction as Practice. Lois is one of the authors and her chapter is called Constructing Social Therapeutics. Lois, I'm very, very happy to invite you into this conversation. It's really an honor. Thank you
0: so much, Robin. It's great to be here. I love talking about this kind of work and social constructionism and social therapeutics, and uh, it's just great to connect with you again.
1: So Dr. Lois Holzman is director of the Eastside Institute. It's headquartered in New York City, and uh, Lois is also chair of Performing the World Conferences, She's mentor, coach to hundreds of scholars, educators, artists and community activists around the globe, all of whom are creating performance activism as a new approach to community development and social change. So Lois, when I reached out to you to ask you what you'd be excited to talk about, you came back with, and I'm quoting, you said you'd be excited to talk about social therapeutics as a playful, performatory, philosophical methodology for person and community development. And I want us to talk about what you do with that, how it came about, um, what this methodology has worked in you, and how it's formed your sense of developing as a human in community and as a community. So that's going to be the focus. But before we go there... I'd like to ask this question first, and I like to ask all my guests to get a sense of, you know, what's been the information or the trajectory of their own lives. And so this is the question, what in your background or upbringing, your cultural heritage or your own development might have already been present in you to chart your course or not and the contributions that you're now making through who you've become and the work that you do around the world?
0: Well, um, thanks for the question, which I always find a difficult one in the sense that it's hard to speak in English in our language, which is so causal. And I don't want to imply that There's causes for who I am. So with that said, (laughs) I can think of things in my life that perhaps contribute to who I become, and I'm happy to share them. So I think the main thing has to do with the fact that I didn't know the language of social constructionism, certainly as a child or a teenager. And I didn't know the language of context or environment. What I did experience was how different I was depending on where I was. And Mm. uh, whether that was in my own home, which was very um, quiet, if you will, people didn't talk very much. Uh, and my friends' homes, which were, people talked all the time at the dinner table. What did you do today? Nobody, my parents never asked me, what did you do today? Um, or how was school? And that was okay. I mean, they were, they were who they were. And both of them were out of the house working all the time. And uh, they, we just didn't talk very much. So, um, but also I was very good a uh, student in elementary school and in high school and then when i went to college it was everybody was smart and it was like a shock as opposed to being you know the smart one in the school um and so it it never occurred to me for whatever reason that there was a problem with me <laughs> i i think what mm-hmm. i did was somehow realize oh i'm very different in different environments some environments support mm-hmm this aspect of me and some environments support that aspect of me. And so later on when I got the language and I got very educated and um, I, I realized that I think I was led to a constructionist worldview and a constructionist practice because for some whatever reason, I had practiced it as a child.
1: So what does that mean to you, having this constructionist worldview? It means
0: several things in in relation to my own um, growing up and my own environment. It it means that um, not only are our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs included in what is socially constructed by human beings throughout history, along with ships and computers and cars and so on, but that we're the ones that construct them. And if we've constructed them, then we can reconstruct them. So I think of the social constructionist practice and way of life or form of life, as Wittgenstein would say, as one in which people are supported to Reconstruct and through that reconstruction, deconstruct the, the things that are determining us in our environment. So we have reconstructed, and through that deconstructed feudalism, for example, when when people talk about the industrial revolution or the enlightenment or whatever these various huge historical um, movements. Um, we, as individual human beings, who are always in social environments and in some form of group process and social, cultural, historical settings, um, have that capacity to construct and reconstruct. That's that's what it means to me that we are always um, not just determined by or in contexts that are socially constructed but we are the social constructors
1: and so why might we need to do that why might we need to deconstruct and reconstruct
0: when we construct things the the other the one of the natures one of the values in a sense of 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 human intellect over the over millennia is that we learn to label, categorize, things get fossilized. So as soon as we construct something, mm. it's amazing. We can easily forget that we're the ones that constructed it. And so it seems natural. And so you see it in every aspect of life that this is how families are done. That's so we have to do our family this way. Even if it was miserable, I I mm. experienced that so, so strongly and sensuously in relation to education and schools. Um, when you look at how schools are still, um, what the environments are like, they are, everybody talks about how the factory model, they came in when factories came in and, and they were regimented. And it's so, it's so anachronistic, it's ridiculous. It's, they're obsolete, but that's how, that's what a school is. So how could you possibly do anything different? Um, we could just look at our political system. We could look at anything, any institution that guides and um, constricts how we live our lives. And it's clear that almost every one of them needs to be reconstructed. And, mm-hmm. and so it's and it's just thrilling. It's developmental. It's growthful. It's joyful for people to um, reconstruct and deconstruct the most trivial things, how you make dinner every night. Uh, how you walk to the subway. Um, You know what I mean? It's like you could just do it a different way and see something different.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I I read somewhere in your writing that you talk about, um, you know, you're giving an example that we are stuck and we're not developing and you have this notion it's all about developing. And I love the way that it's, you know, it's this present continuous (laughs) that you're Mm -hmm. using it's the developing um meaning it's continuous and it's emergent and um and I guess this is where the play and the performance kind of fits into your work so I'd like to thank you for sharing that background and giving me a sense of what um, social construction means to you um, and I'd like to now move towards um, what you're doing in in mm-hmm. terms of social therapeutics so from reading you and seeing you um, what I understand this matters very much to you and that you are incorporating play and performance and it's you know it's all a practical f- philosophy and that's foundational to developing um, uh, you know to this developing as as a human, and also in our communities. And you call this mix as a new kind of psychology, the psychology of becoming. And I understand that the name mm-hmm. is social therapeutics. So it happens in groups, and therefore it's about this creativity Um you know, among and between us. So when I Google Sarah, uh, social therapeutics, Lois, what comes up, it's all about you and your work and the body of collaboration, the Eastside Institute, um, performing the world and all that work. So did you and your cohorts, um, develop this term? I mean, can you say a little bit about social therapeutics and how it differs from say social therapy?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, social therapy, actually, it's very funny. If you Google social therapy, the first thing that comes up is um, is therapy with dogs. Social mm-hmm. therapy is, is assistance by dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, then we come up after that. <laughs> so social therapy was a term that Fred Newman, the founder of social therapy and the co-founder of the Eastside Institute with me, um, made up. And it was his word. He he often would say it really should be called social history, but nobody would come to it (laughs) who needed therapy. So he called it social therapy. That's yeah, that's cool. And and it was his um, way of working to help people um, in emotional distress or just having a hard time. And it, at first, the people were social activists that worked, that were community activists in New York City. And um, then it was very, very useful to work in a group because he always felt that the group is an environment that you can create where the therapist gets much more help. That one-on-one therapy, and no matter how uh, un- medical and undiagnostic, it was still the, that person that you are working with is the most special person in the room because mm-hmm. uh, you, your therapist has, you have your therapist undivided attention. And if what you're trying to do is help people regain their socialness, then it's probably not the best idea for them to always be the only person in the room with you. Right. Um And so groups were kind of a a great environment to challenge so many of the things that are um, challenged by postmodernist social constructionists and so on. And when we looked at and getting to how social therapy became social therapeutics and how play and performance got in there, um, Newman wanted to help people. Create a new understanding and a new practice of speaking. That we that you come into therapy and you speak about yourself and you speak about yourself and your inner life. And he wanted to challenge that you know yourself best. That in fact, if you're creating something, namely the therapy group with other people. That is how together Mm -hmm. you come to know yourself as well as others. Mm -hmm. And I had been a a very avid postdoc student of Lev Vygotsky's um, in the sense that I read everything he did and I became a Vygotskyan researcher. And it was incredible to me when he was describing the ways that very young children Develop and grow and learn, mm-hmm. and he was insistent that it was a social process. Um, so w- one of the the most um, transformative of the work that Newman and I were doing in our understanding of social therapy and of groups came from Vygotsky's understanding of what the importance of play was for development in early childhood, and he would be describing how children play in pretend play where you where children are both who they are and the character they're playing whether that's a, a you know a baby Yoda or it's um, doctors a, and nurses a, yes <laughs> doctors and nurses or mama and mommy and daddy um, so that was pretty amazing oh a child is both who they are and children are who they are and who they're becoming or someone other than who they are at the same time. And then when he was describing Vygotsky again, when he was describing how children become speakers of a language, it was strikingly similar that the the child is babbling and doesn't know the language of his family yet. And the parents and grandparents and siblings and friends are who do know the language are acting as if they understand what the kid is saying, and the kid is acting as if he and they he or she understands what the others are saying. And together they create this stage for the development of a speaker. That it's all about playing with language. It's a playing with language and and sounds and meanings and it's a performance of a speaker that's being created in every single family or a signer if if there is a you know the child or the family is deaf Mm -hmm. and so we put those together and realized or made up (laughs) i discovered that that's what we're trying to do in therapy is to help the group create its own therapy and and Engage in the activity of playing with language.
1: Right, that's so helpful because I'm just looking here and I read on the, Insta- in the Eastside Inst- Institute's website a description of um, social therapeutics. Um, as radical humanism, and you have four ways that you say that we create community together. And just what you've described, let me just summarize that because you have here people are social beings, you've addressed that, people are performers, people are improvisers, you know, your example of acquiring language, and then people are revolutionaries. So those four pillars, um, say a little bit more about how that kind of builds into the play and performance. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's, it's
0: the revolutionaries. (laughs) Um, And that has a small R, Um, you know, our understanding of, it's always problematic um, to take words that have a particular meaning to, in the popular culture and play with them. Mm, Yes. Um, So here we have, we have performance and people think of performance uh, both as something that happens on the stage or something kind of fake. Right. Oh, he's performing, right? Yes. And then revolutionary, well, we know what we think popular culture view of revolutionary is both, you know, taking up arms mm. um or as there was a string of, of um hot dog uh not stands because they were stores, but they were like stands. And they, it was, this is the revolutionary hot talk, <laughs> you know? So products advertise themselves as revolutionary. And then you have the storming the barricades revolutionary. Right. What we got from Vygotsky, who was after all a Marxist and tried to develop a Marxist psychology in the 1920s, was the, that the revolutionariness of of human development, of the deconstruction, recon, the, I'm sorry, the reconstruction, deconstruction mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. that we are determined by our circumstances. And yet babies and little children are are overthrowing that every minute of the day. They are of the ch- a Child is born and brought home from the hospital. And absolutely, that whole family is torn asunder. You know, like, just think about it. You bring this baby home and and the whole environment is has, has to be transformed, yes. is transformed mm-hmm. by the presence of this helpless infant. And then it begins to walk and then you have to child proof your house. Um, you know, even if we just think of it in the in the physical sense of environment. But of course, it's much, much more than that. So. It occurred to us, well, if children, little, little children, are revolutionaries in this sense of being determined by the environment and having the capacity, we have the social capacity to transform that environment into something else. And that is a constant human, social, cultural process. Mm-hmm. So if we want to, those four um, performers, social beings, improvisers, and revolutionaries, that is if if we the people on on the planet right now wish to transform the way things are into another way, other ways that meet our needs better, our needs for love, our needs for food, our needs uh, for the planet to continue to exist, and whatever our needs are, then we have to reinitiate our Capacities as performers, social beings, improvisers, and revolutionaries. We need to reinitiate and support development, transformation from what is to what can become.
1: Let's hear from the executive director of the Taos Institute, Dawn Dole, who talks more about the Taos Institute in relation to what we can become. Worlds of meaning are intimately related to action. We act largely in terms of what we believe to be real, rational, and good. We learn more about understanding how worlds of meaning are linked to action in daily life by exploring social constructionist practices. Visit tausinstitute.net to discover more about this synergy. my conversation with Lois Holzman. So in terms of our theme for this season's collaboration with the task Institute, you may have touched on this, but I'd like you to sort of say again, like how social therapeutics is such a good fit with social constructionist practices. You know, how do they support each other in uh, complementaries or strengthening ways, mm. you, you know, there's a good connection there. And so for you, and in terms of what you've written in this chapter, what's that meaning for you?
0: Sure. Well, what I tried to do in the chapter was to not dwell on those things, to state what I thought that the, the connections were, and to tell some of the stories of how social therapy as a radical non-diagnostic uh therapy transformed into a postmodern approach and became much more social constructionist and then how that because of various circumstances institutional and uh travels and the in, in interest in social therapy by people who weren't therapists and didn't want to be therapists but were all educators and and um theater people and youth workers and doctors and nurses and so on. um, How, how, how that transformed. And I didn't state state this, but maybe to challenge that people would be, would have the say, Oh, I know that seems social constructionist. that doesn't that, you know, to, to do it themselves. Once I laid out what I thought that the um, similarities were. So um, for me, and for Newman, social constructionism coming in contact with the Taos Institute, with Ken Gergen, with Mary Gergen, with Sheila McAmee, and so on, um, was so transformative to give us an understanding and a language. What we had was a very sophisticated, analytic, philosophical and Wittgensteinian understanding from Fred Newman and a developmental Vygotskian so she, sociocultural understanding from myself and to meet social constructionism and just added this element to it of, oh, this we're not the only ones who have a concern with how meaning is constructed and what language is as both a, a, a curse <laughs> and, and a blessing. How, mm-hmm. What collaborative and appreciative means, those were not words that we used, uh, although I do think that certainly our, our our practice was those. And I think that we added the human capacity to play and perform to the social constructionist understanding, and Taos and the Institute did things early in the, in, in the 90s and early 2000s that were... I think, complementary to us, um, to us both, and the fact that our understanding of play and performance came from very, very different places um, and different concerns, so is much more concerned at, at, in the 90s and 2000s with, the, with playing with research and playing as a researcher and are there other ways to convey what you are doing that would use the the um performing arts and for us it was what i was saying earlier about the discovery about emotionality and and intellect and how that is created in human beings through playing and performing
1: right i love that so it's almost like Mm. moving from Mm -hmm. the head into the gut in a way um and there's also something else that I see, and that is that there's the shared debunking of this notion of self-contained individuals.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and so, um, yeah, maybe you, you say a little bit about that. You know, it's not <clears> about the. Uh, you know, you did refer to it in the thera- in the you know therapy kind of session before, like it's the, an individual, and in the therapy is kind of the got all the, the expert thing. But it's about the group, and it's about the. Um, relational process. So, you know, in the group, and I think I'm quoting you here, let me read this quote. You say that the great thing about individual therapy is you know that you're the most special person in the room. In group, it's not about being the most special person in the room. It's about what you can give to the group. And that means you have to think about whether or not special is something that helps you emotionally in therapy in your life. So that's a lovely, I think, a lovely quote Mm -hmm. that summarizes a lot of what you've been saying.
0: Being special as not not always or not ever developmental is something that um, goes way beyond the therapy room. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, Sugata Mitra, who is an Indian physicist who became an educator and was uh, awarded a $1 million Ted prize uh, for his work, which he calls Poland, which was originally the hole in the wall project. And he calls now uh, the school in the cloud. Actually, mm-hmm. he just had his book published. Um, so anyway, what he did was he put a computer in a, in a hole in the wall on the st- on, on this street, I guess, in a, in a, in a, an Indian slum. And just watched what the kids would do. And together, the kids figured out how to make it work and what it was. Mm -hmm. And um, it led him to do that more and more and to see what happened and to pose questions for kids, um, very difficult questions, and leave them in front of a computer and see what they did. And um, he calls uh, what he... He does, and his discovery self-organized learning environments or souls. Yeah. And they are, um, many schools around the world have at least part of their, some of their classrooms and some schools are totally organized as that. And, and it, it's an amazing discovery of what many of us have always thought, which is that learning is not. An individual private process. It's a social process. I mean, work that I did as a postdoc at Rockefeller University in the 70s was, was exact, showed exactly that. But his work is so, um, uh, visual and so profound, uh,
1: mm.
0: wonderful man, wonderful, wonderful person.
1: Yeah, yes, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for reminding me of that. And we'll put a mm. link on the show notes page for that too. And um, it, you know, it just speaks to um, our capacity as being you know, for being self-directed and self-organizing. and um, yeah, you know, we just have this amazing capacity to to live very full lives, given the opportunities. Here's Mary Gergen, one of the original co-founders of the Taos Institute, who lets us know about the development programs and the workshops that the Taos Institute offers. The Taos Institute presents workshops throughout the year,
0: both in person and virtual. These workshops provide an in-depth opportunity to learn about social construction and relational collaborative and appreciative practices. To see all the offerings, visit houseinstitute.net slash education.
1: This is Positivity Strategist. And the topic for this season is social innovations through the lens of social construction. Let's return now to my guest, Dr. Lois Um, I, Lois, I have this sense of you that Uh, You you know, I, I look again at websites and I see, I see images of you and I get this sense that, excuse me, you have, um, you love humanity Mm -hmm. and, um, you have such faith in, I, this is, you know, how I'm constructing Mm -hmm. this, (laughs) that you have such faith in what we can achieve together. Am I reading you right?
0: Yes, I, I, I. I've seen it. It's it just astonishing to me. It's, it's something, and here in a way is where impro- improvisation comes in. It's like so astonishing to me how a group of people can walk in a room or you walk in a room where a group of people is, and maybe they know each other and they're tense um, and they're not getting along. Or maybe they're all strangers and so they're tense <laughs> because they're a little nervous about each other. Mm-hmm. And within you can you can transform that environment into one where there's joy and laughter and the tension is gone and everyone feels safe and it can take 10 seconds to do it. The thing is, it's amazingly difficult to have the environment where that's possible.
1: Right. It's like
0: both at the same time. It's it's so easy and it's so hard. And what makes it hard is then when people leave the room, they forget. They forget that it was yeah. they who made it. And yeah. You might have said, "Why don't we all get up and 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 make funny faces mm. at each other?" But they did it. They had to do it. Mm. Um, so is that
1: because there's a um, like a scaffolding or a, car, you know, just you talk about environment a lot, and I fully appreciate that. But that you have set up a um, a container to allow that to happen. Yeah,
0: I I think it's it's giving people permission. I think it I, I think of it more as giving permission, making an invitation. Okay. And giving yeah. permission to do something slightly different. So one of the things I do, for example, is if I get a group together and or I'm I'm, like I was down at George Washington University last week for a executive doctoral program and I, I do a workshop um, with them and with this cohort and instead of asking, you know, instead of saying, well, I'd love to get to know you while everyone's sitting, uh, what, say your name and what your interest is or whatever you want to ask, we do walking around introductions where you ask everyone to stand up and walk around randomly and look each other in the eye. And at one point, someone stops. And everybody has everybody eventually stops because they realize someone's stopping. So you have to be aware of the people around you. And then you say what you're going to say. And mm-hmm. then everyone starts walking again. And then someone, I might say, uh, let's walk really fast. And then, and then we walk really fast until someone stops and does this and introduces themselves. And until everyone's done. So you get the same quote information, except you really don't because people say different things when they're walking around than they do if they're sitting. They say things they've never said before, and it's just marvelous. and everyone feels, mm-hmm. "Wow, that was really fun and And I learned so much about you that I didn't that I didn't know. Um, so that's just one of hundreds and hundreds of examples of how easy it is to create that environment for something new to emerge and for people to see each other in different ways.
1: That's really nice. And that's playful. Yes. Right?
0: (laughs) It is. (laughs) Very
1: playful. So um, I have one question that I'm longing to ask you, Lois, and that is what gives you hope?
0: I think what I just was describing Mm -hmm. is what gives me hope that whether – it's me working with people or uh, some of the, any of the hundreds and hundreds around the world who we have trained or the 500 people who come to performing the world conferences or people that I meet or Taos associates or anybody the, the, the desire for human growth and development and people being nice to each other Mm. (laughs) and changing the world is, is so it's just right there below the surface for people who don't appear to have it at the moment Mm. and what people can do together, what, you know, like inner city kids, inner city teens when they get together at the all stars um, project for some particular kind of workshop and what they can do and, Cops and kids working together, come, transforming from surly, you know, tough. Uh, you can't possibly touch me emotionally. To right. half hour later, it's, it's they're talking to each other. Yeah, that's what gives me hope.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I thank you so much for spending the time and having this conversation today. Oh, thank
0: you. It's been lovely. Really nice, Robin. Thank you. That's
1: great, Lois. And um, I look forward to um, seeing the chapter in the publication. And I, as I've said earlier a couple of times that there's so many resources that um, people can access all the work that you're doing, um, Eastside Institute, Performing the World, um, and all these examples you talk about. So there'll be links there for people to find out more. So thank you again.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Indeed, to find out more, head on over to positivitystrategist.com slash podcast and scroll to Season 5. There you'll find a summary of this conversation with Lois and access to a number of her resources, just as you'll find similar summaries and access to resources for the other guests that I've had the opportunity and privilege to speak with. And next time, I really encourage you to listen in to Dr. Pavel Napustil, who talks to us about addiction recovery. It's really thought-provoking and very stimulating. A huge gratitude to all of you who are listening to our Taos Associates and our community all around the world. Thank you. Until next time. I'm signing out and it's Robin Stratton-Burkessel of Positivity Strategist.